Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Thomas here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. I want to kick it off with a couple corrections from the Salary Cap Podcast from a couple weeks ago. The repeater penalty is $2 per dollar uh, into the tax you are. I initially said it was $3 per dollar. Really what it is is it's $3 if you're $1 in, but one of those dollars is just the normal penalty. Repeater just adds $2 on top of that. So the way it was phrased on uh, the show I listened to was uh, I misinterpreted what they said, and so uh, just to correct that. So it is $1 less than I thought it is. So if you're $1 in, you're not paying $4, you're not paying $3, and the penalty is $2 of that $3. Uh, second thing, some clarification on the sign-and-trade piece that you can't do if you're above the second apron. I believe after looking at it, what it means is you cannot sign-and-trade a player out to match salary of a player coming in. So, like in this case, if we had Vucevic and we were above the second apron and we wanted to get another player, we could no longer sign-and-trade Vuce to another team as salary-matching purposes to bring a player in. I believe that that's, that's what it means. I've actually seen the term sheet now, so uh, I think that's how I interpret that. So those corrections out of the way. Uh, a few things that I want to talk about this time. I gave you my overall, what I feel, best plan for the Chicago Bulls to make large steps forward, which was don't take on any salary pass this year. Trade DeMar for as much as you can get. Trade Crusoe for as much as you can get. Trade Vooch for as much as you can get. Uh, and all of those things might not really be all that much. Uh, wait about three, four, five months. Uh, apply for medical retirement for Alonzo Ball. At that point, he'll have been out for two full years, had three knee surgeries, and if he's not ready to come back, I think you have an outstanding chance of removing his cap number from the books. I think actually it would be pretty much guaranteed that that would happen. And so at that point, you will now have $90 million in cap room and Zach Levine on the roster and Dalen Terry on the roster. And you may even just decline to pick up Dalen Terry's option or see if you can move him for something as well. You'll have maybe three to four extra first-round picks from the trades you made of Vooch, Caruso, and Damar. They won't be great first-round picks. I don't think you're going to get a ton back for these guys. If you can, fantastic. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you have all this cap room, and then you have uh, these things. You could argue about whether you want to keep Caruso. He's on a good long-term deal. Uh, but he's going to be up for free agency then again shortly, and then you just have to decide whether you would rather uh, get something for him or if you feel like this is really a long-term piece you want to build around. I would be less concerned about keeping him than the other guys. His salary cap number is also much smaller. This means you also have to let Kobe White go. You can move him in a sign and trade too if you can do that and get anything back for him. Uh, the team will be really bad next year. So one of your picks will be, you know, pretty good as well. And then, you know, people say, who are you going to get in a free agency? Maybe not a whole lot. Again, Jalen Brown, if he does not agree to terms with the Celtics this year. And DeMontis Sabonis, if he doesn't get an extension, would be the two best unrestricted free agents. And I think that is not overwhelmingly exciting to have those two guys in Zach Levine, but certainly more exciting than what we have now, in my opinion. Similar to what we have now, except better fitting and much, much younger. The real thing, though, is you don't always have to use cap room to bring in free agents. You can use it like the Oklahoma City Thunder have used it for several years to make transactions, to bring in tons of assets. You know, the Thunder look like really strong young team that has lots of pathways to improve this is sort of the type of situation i would like to see the bulls get into obviously it's a little tougher there because the thunder have spent a few years kind of building into this situation and the bulls could have just continued on with what they're doing when guard packs are here and done the same thing to build into that situation 
but they chose instead to try to make all these win now moves and now they need to try to roll them back and figure out what they're going to do or they need to try to figure out some way to take these this team they have and add enough to it to get somewhere more exciting than where they are and i've discussed the reasons why i think that's really hard uh so that's kind of just a, a recap of the plan if you didn't listen to the last show uh, that's what I feel the best overall plan is. I don't think we're going to implement that plan. And so I'm not going to harp on it too much because there's no sense in repeating over and over and over again something I don't think we're going to do. So I will start looking at moves from a lens of what is the best thing we can do to implement the strategy we're going to try to implement, which appears to be let's add on to this roster and um, try to compete now. So going forward, I'm probably going to try to think in the sense of what can we do based on that strategy that we're implementing, even though I disagree with the strategy, I'll probably still bring that up occasionally just so no one's confused. Uh, but we will start looking at, you know, this is the path we're going down. And if we go down it, what are the best options? So first I'm gonna discuss a little bit about why the situation we're in is kind of difficult from a roster building mentality. And so I think if you've watched this team this past year, and I'm sure if you're listening to the show, you watch them all the time, You've noticed that the Bulls need rim protection and you've noticed that they need shooting, right? Like, I don't think anyone disagrees that those are some of the needs uh, we have. Uh, I discussed a little bit that even though we were very good in defensive rating, our actual defense in terms of stopping uh, players from scoring was very poor. What we were really good at is denying the types of plays that yield really efficient shots, which is effectively offensive rebounds, fouls, and transition plays. So we didn't foul a whole lot. We, we didn't give up a lot of second chance points and we didn't let guys get out in transition. Now, some of those things we did by never getting offensive rebounds ourselves. And, and actually that differential, I believe, was negative for us. So we got fewer offensive rebounds than our opponents, which hurt our second chance points more than their opponents. So even though this contributed a lot to good defense, it uh, contributed a lot to very poor offense by us. And the contribution to poor offense was probably greater than the contribution to poor defense, um, or I should say good defense, my, my bad. Poor offense for the opposing team. Uh, we didn't foul a whole lot, but then that also meant, you know, we tended to give up a really good field goal percentage to the other team uh, because we weren't fouling and we don't have like really great contesters. So, you know, some of those things, even though they ended up in good numbers, and I'm not saying they were bad decisions in how we formulated the defense, it, the, the reason our defense was so good really did come at a cost to our offensive efficiency. And that's somewhat why when you say, why did we have these three offensive first players and then still not able to have a good offense, part of those things were those decisions around there. We weren't pushing the ball in transition. This limited our turnovers. We don't have a lot of passing on our team. Like we have a lot of guys who would just hold the ball and do stuff, but we're not moving the ball as much. Again, that contributes to fewer turnovers, fewer transition points for the opponent. Uh, but we are taking more isolation shots than other teams. And we're taking less efficient shots because of that, even though we have good shot makers and we're, we're pretty good at that shot, our shot profile is pretty bad and kind of mentioned that. So though those are kind of, those things are like related, you know, we've improved our defense at the cost of our offense and it, it questionable whether that is to the net benefit of the team or not. It, it very well might be. I'm not trying to say it was a poor decision, but we just should understand what it is. You know, we are making sacrifices to get around the fact that we have poor defensive personnel and this is kind of the outcome. So I, I don't look at the numbers so much in defensive offensive rating to see what the problems are. You know, when you watch the team play, like you don't look at the Bulls and go, wow, these guys can defend and they can't score. Like that's not really the, the feeling you get watching them. And that, that kind of just explains why. So anyway, getting back to the roster and how we want to 
add defenders or shooters, you quickly run into a lot of problems because the players we have are difficult to fit next to each other. And so one of the things is our roster building mentality, in my opinion, was get as many talented players as you can and figure out how to live with their flaws. So, you know, I don't think we like targeted Vooch and we targeted Damar because these were the guys we wanted. We targeted him because these were the guys we could get at a reasonable cost. Like no one wanted Damar. You know, he was talking about teams trying to get him to sign for the vet minimum. And, you know, we paid him, I think it was like $70 million more than the next known best offer. So he's been fantastic for us, but he was gettable. Like he wasn't widely desired throughout the league by teams that had the resources to go and get him and spend some money on him. You know, Vooch, we just overpaid for. I'm not going to beat that up again. I think everyone kind of agrees with that. We just were the highest bidder on the market. Orlando was trying to, to pivot into something else and, and, you know, has done so. And so we got these guys because we could get them. You know, Lonzo had a lot of injury risks. I think same kind of thing. And so, you know, when looking through these flaws now, when you look at Vooch, he doesn't really play defense. Uh, you can only kind of use him in drop coverage, but he can't protect the rim. He can't defend the pick and roll and switch on to a guard. Uh, he's not super efficient on offense. You know, he's been a very low efficiency player generally throughout his career, and particularly for a center. Like centers usually are really good efficiently uh, players, and he's not. Now, he's a higher volume player than most centers. Most centers that are high volume are also super efficient because they're just tremendous. Uh, but, you know, Vooch is not a very efficient player. You know, his game actually plays more like a power forward or small forward in the sense of he takes a lot of these jumpers uh, that are that are pretty inefficient shots. Uh, he's decent. And he doesn't draw fouls. So he's decent at around the basket in terms of actual field goal percentage. He's like solid there, but he doesn't draw the fouls like other big men do, and he doesn't. Um, he, and he takes a lot of like low efficiency shots. So inefficient. Uh, modern offenses just they just don't run through low post centers. Like that's just not what you do. Uh, stretch fives also aren't real popular, and Vooch hasn't really shown to be a stretch five anyway. Now theoretically. A stretch five sounds like it's really great, but it's only really great if your center can do center things like protect the rim and be a great defender. If he's not a great defender, teams would rather play a big wing who can switch and defend the pick and roll and you know be more active uh, stopping shooters. You know, So if your center can't do defensive center things, then he, him being able to shoot is not really so useful, which is why Luke Cornett is not in the league. Actually, Luke Cornett's shooting, even though theoretically he's a stretch five, you know, just kind of sucked the last couple of years too. And I suppose he's probably in the league somewhere at the end of the bench not playing. Anyway, so that's kind of like Vooch's flaws. Now, the strengths here, he's a great passer. He's a great defensive rebounder, which has helped with our defense. Uh, doesn't foul a lot on defense, also because he doesn't really heavily contest shots, just tries to kind of be in the way. So, you know, he has some strengths. I'm not trying to say Vooch is a bad player. He's tremendously skilled all around. Like, you know, the guy can kind of shoot, kind of do a bit of everything. Uh, but he doesn't have like the mastery of like a couple traits, which I think is more prototypical of what you're looking for out of your center in the NBA today. And so you can work around Vooch, you know, if you work around Vooch and say, all right, this is a good player. And he's and actually the contracts we're looking at him. I don't think they're crazy relative to the type of player he is. I, I think they're a little high, but I don't think they're crazy, uh, especially as a free agent. I, I think that's just kind of what you get. So, but the type of player you need around Vooch is you need a power forward who can defend the rim. And, uh, you know, kind of take over some of those defensive responsibilities of your center. And so we don't have that player on the roster. Now, uh, let's go to DeMar DeRozan. So with DeMar, you know, he's another guy who, tremendous offensive player, but he's not a defender, can't, doesn't really 
put a lot of effort into defense. Uh, maybe that's because he puts so much into offense. Maybe it's because he's just getting up there in age and is tired. I don't know. But he's, but he's not a great defender. Um, and so if you look at DeMar, you know, some of the problems with him are he doesn't shoot threes and he doesn't defend. Uh, he's not really a, a tremendous passer. I, I don't think he's okay. But he pounds the ball a lot. Uh, and so when you look at him and how he has to uh, fit in the NBA and you think, how many wings are there that don't shoot threes and don't defend? It's like pretty rare. So now to, to fit a guy around DeMar, like what do you need? Well, whoever you need has to shoot threes and they have to be able to defend the perimeter. Now, DeVar is your 3-4. And so now you start thinking like, all right, well, to complement DeMar and to complement Vooch, you would need to play DeMar at the three. And then you would need a four who can both defend the perimeter and defend the interior and shoot threes really well. And if you look at someone like Pat Williams, like theoretically, <laughs> it kind of seems like if all worked out, like he could maybe even sort of be that guy. Like that vision isn't so bad. But he can't really defend the perimeter and the interior at once. And so one of the things is when you have DeMar and Vooch, besides the fact that offensively they both kind of want to occupy the same space, uh, which makes it more difficult for either of their games and not really complementary offensively. So you're losing a little bit there in terms of the sum of your parts. The guy you need to complement both of them, you know, needs to play in different places. The guy complementing Vooch kind of needs to be able to defend the interior and be the rim protector. And the guy complementing DeMar needs to defend the perimeter. And so, you know, one guy can't do both, but it's the same position that needs to do both, you know, to a degree. And now the other thing is, say you wanted the great de perimeter defender to be like, you know, the shooting guard instead. Well, Zach's not a great de perimeter defender. And so Zach can't pick up that slack either. Now you enter Lonzo ball and you think this is why the bulls did actually work out kind of well for a while is like Lonzo can kind of defend anything. And so if you think about if Pat Williams had just broken out and done all the stuff you wanted and he would be a really strong, versatile defender and a good spot of three point shooter and Lonzo Ball was healthy and could defend four positions and, you know, also be a great spot of three-point shooter, you can see how all these pieces would be just enough to kind of cover everyone's gaps and put together a kind of good team. So in that sense, the overall product was, like, not totally insane. You know, the problem is you're hoping so many things come together. Like, this starts to come together while Pat Williams is a second-year player and Lonzo Ball is a guy who's traditionally missed a third of the season every year and you know while his injury certainly is way worse than anyone would have probably reasonably predicted the fact that he's not available for long stretches is not a surprise you know Vooch and DeMar are older they don't have long time frames you would expect them to decline DeMar DeRozan just in fact outperformed what you would have expected by just a massive amount too right like he had maybe his best two of his best seasons of his career with the Bulls you know at an age where he should have been kind of winding down you would think and so in that sense, we got a little bit of luck with DeMar that was countered by really poor luck with Lonzo. I don't think Pat was like good or bad luck, really. You know, it's just we, we put a lot of expectations on a guy that probably we shouldn't have put so much expectations on. Like you draft a guy, it's always an unknown. And, you know, Pat was actually looked at like the 10th pick in the draft, uh, you know, prior to us taking him at number four. He was like mocked between 10 and 12. So the idea that like he didn't pan out in a class that no one thought was particularly good. Uh, is not really a huge surprise. And I shouldn't even say he didn't pan out. just has not panned out yet. Like, there's nothing about Pat Williams that you should have said, this is going to work right away. Like, that, there's no reason to think that at all. Or even that, like, it's going to work, you know, all this way, all together. So you start thinking about this group, you know, some of the problems that they have is, I mean, generally, one, Lonzo just isn't here. 
And, you know, some of the key things he brings to like help balance out this group, like tremendous volume shooting and tremendous versatile defense, you just can't replace. Like you just start going through the list of guys in the league that can do that. And there just really aren't any, like there's just no one out there. And so we can't replace Lonzo. We're not going to get Lonzo. And that puts us in a bad spot. So all of that is kind of like just the backdrop of how the roster is constructed and why it's difficult and sort of like is gets into like the strategy I have of like, you just need to pivot away from this. You need guys that can do the things their position is supposed to do. You need your a center that can defend the rim. Like first and foremost, someone who can be a rim protector and, and a strong defender and a great role guy and things like that. You don't really need offense out of our center, right? If, if we have Damar and Zach. And then at the same time, if you had Vooch as your center, but you had a prototypical wing instead of DeMar, someone who just could defend a lot of positions and could shoot a lot of open threes and you just ran pick and roll with Zach and Vooch, like things also might be a lot different if you had a solid, like whatever. But so it's difficult to add so many pieces, right? Like most teams have, you know, be like three really talented starters like we do. And then a couple guys that are like, you know, talented guys in a niche. And so we have that too, but it's like the talent of our, our starters doesn't fit well enough to make it easy uh, for the niche guys to do what they need because now they really just need to be really, really good players. Like you think of how I described, you know, Pat Williams and Lonzo Ball in the role and they're like, you know, $20, $25 million players. And they start thinking like, all right, well, I got two $25 million role players plus three guys who are, you know, I guess maybe Vooch is another like say $20 million role player. And then Zach and, and, and DeMar would be like your kind of like max guys, and it's like you're already at too much salary. And so you just got to figure out a way to get a better fitting team so you can meld pieces in there. And now the backdrop of all this, like I said, Lonzo's gone, DeMar and Vooch are on tight timelines and because of their age and you should start expecting decline. You know, Zach was tremendously healthy last year, actually third in the NBA in minutes, which is insane to think about. And you have to wonder, like, is that just going to be the norm for him? You think he's going to hold up all the time? Uh, because, you know, so based on his history, he's – actually played in most of the games but if you watch the team you notice he's like worn down at the end of the year a lot and and so you just wonder if that's going to be something he can maintain so that's kind of like um the backdrop of all this so now you start thinking like how do we add rim defenders and shooters and it's like well we could add shooters we can just add shooters but now you have just really big deficiencies in terms of how they fit with our starters because we need so much on defense uh, because of the way these guys are set up. And maybe you just hope that Billy Donovan can scheme them out of it, which is kind of what he's tried to do already, you know, with the, what I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's going to be really hard at a rim protector, you know, because he's got to play power forward. So you've got to, you know, a power forward rim protector, and they kind of need to shoot because you can't have Vooch, DeMar, and a power forward all on the floor that can't shoot. We don't really even have a good shooting point guard. You just can't have four guys in the NBA who can't shoot on the floor at once. You just You just can't. This is not how it works. And so that's kind of a little bit of why it's, 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 it's really difficult. Now, I do think we need to try to add at least more variety of options on the bench. So, like, you know, kind of look at the Bulls bench, and they weren't all healthy. But between Pat Beverly, Alex Caruso, uh, Javante Green, like Dalen Terry, you know, the Bulls had a type <laughs> for their bench player, which was like hustle defender, you know, Ayo DeSumo even. And – like you need some shooting off the bench. Like Kobe White was like the only bench shooter. You know, like they, they tried Matt Thomas a couple of years ago. They needed to try another couple of guys like Matt Thomas. I'm not saying Matt Thomas worked out, but they need to get a guy who can just off the bench, just shoot the heck out of the ball. You know, even if he can't defend or whatever, like you need options. We don't need like five hustle defenders 
uh, off the bench. We need options. You know, DJJ is another one. You know, pretty much everyone. And so you just need to add at least like a couple guys who are niche shooters on the bench. Now, they might be really difficult to play because they can't defend or whatever, but like you just need different things you can throw out there. You know, you need different things you can throw out there. So we'll see how all of that pans out. But I think that's the difficulty in trying to put together you know, all of this. So you sort of have a clear understanding of what the bulls are up against. Now, uh, as I've noted before, but just as a reminder, in terms of what we have to use, depending on the Vooch contract and the Kobe contract, if we bring them back, I've just recently heard the term, uh, it was like, um, I don't know, it's the MLE trap, you know, the bird rights trap, where basically it's like, if you don't bring back Vooch and Kobe, you just lose them more or less for nothing because you can't reallocate their salary because you're over the cap and you don't have enough exceptions to reallocate their salary. So the best move is to bring these guys back to keep talent in, even if they aren't great fits. And that's kind of one of the other struggles. If we do bring both those guys back and maybe even IO, that might be it. Like we might have no extra room under the tax at all. And the rest might just be vet minimum players. And so you start trying to think of like those things I described, how are you going to fill those out with a vet minimum uh, becomes a little bit of, of a tricky thing to figure out how to do. Um, so anyway, that's kind of the backdrop. I'm going to try and look into some specific players. I think we should target and try to add at the minimum uh, a little bit later. Maybe that'll be for, for next show. So one of the things I talked about with the new collective bargaining agreement a couple a couple of shows ago is I want to start thinking about how you can position yourself to take advantage of the new collective bargaining agreement. So like right now there's a lot of teams trying to win now. And because of that, and because of human psychology, people, they can see something and they can look and know how it should play out. But until it actually plays out, they tend to just not feel its reality. And so I think you're going to see a lot of teams not really position themselves appropriately for the next CBA early. They're going to just wait until the problems hit them and then try and figure it out later. Like it's, it's this very human thing to just try and figure things out later. And so I would like the Bulls to be a little bit proactive. And my plan that I mentioned earlier actually does a lot of that. So start thinking about what's going to happen with the new CBA when there's a hard cap effectively, not a true hard cap, but kind of like a hard cap. And when you think about that, the, Things that are going to happen. One, you're going to have a lot of teams trying to dump salary next summer to get under that second apron. And they're not going to be able to take any salary back. So you know what would be really valuable to have in that scenario? Cap room. I don't know that like I'm in love with Jordan Poole, but I would bet next summer there's a pretty good chance I could get Jordan Poole and a draft pick for nothing. Like they're just going to send me a first rounder to take Jordan Poole. Same thing might be true with Andrew Wiggins. And that seems crazy, but it's like if you need to just dump salary, there's not going to be tons and tons of teams to do that. That's one of the reasons why I love the idea of getting $90 million under the cap. So say we, yeah, we can't sign any free agents. But say you can you know, just get players of Jordan Poole's caliber for free and get paid to do it because so many teams are like desperate to get under the second apron. Maybe someone like Terrence Mann from the Clippers. I got to go look at his like contract to know if that's true. But like, you're going to be able to get players that are like yeah these are decent players solid rotation players but we just need to get this money off the books we don't want to take on these penalties and there's going to be a ton of that next year and so i think if you have salary room and you're able to like pick and choose which deals you want because you have a ton of it you're going to be able to really make some good things happen for yourself and you're going to be able to get you know some some quality role players and a lot of assets i think even then you'd be able to rebuild kind of like a competitive group like this sort of like 
you know, fringe playoff, first round exit type team we have now, I think you could just totally rebuild that next year just by taking on people's scraps and getting paid to do it. And you get positioned to basically be the same caliber team you are this year, except also with tons of extra future assets, you know, from what you trade for the guys I mentioned I wanted to trade earlier. And then also for all of the guys uh, you take on and bring in more picks. Like I'm talking like maybe five, six extra draft picks and then, uh, you know, a first round exit team, fringe play play in team. No, not a team that's got a lot of stars, but like all those other things and then still be flexible enough. You know, depending how you do it, you might even be able to just roll that cap room in the next year if you take expiring guys and then do the same thing again. And that, that allows you to then build out this like kind of pipeline of assets coming into your team. And, you know, so it, it's hard to punt on a year, right? It's hard to punt on a year. And I think that's effectively what I'm saying is you punt on this year and, and you really, though, can use that to set yourself up. And the new collective bargaining agreement and the way it's timed is really going to make that uh, something that you could, you could do really well. And I think that's what's kind of even more exciting about that plan for me. Um, I think it will be interesting to see if teams go with the multi-star and, like, only minimum salary contracts or whether they start trying to go with, like, one star and better role players or if they just go with, like, full role player teams. I'm not sure like anything has changed there. Historically in the NBA teams have gone with the multi-star approach. I actually think there's going to be room where you want to get multiple role players and not just stars. At least you don't want to pay the Jalen Brown and Zach Levines of the world, guys who I'd say like in the 30-ish range of players in the NBA. You're not going to want to load up on like three of those guys. One of the things about the old system was if you had your true top 10 player then you had another guy at 30 and you're both paying them paying both of them basically the same like the 35 percent or whatever you could just spend a lot of money to fill out the rest of your roster and you're not going to be able to do that anymore and i think now what you're going to find is it makes more sense to have like five or six quality players and one superstar than it is to have like one superstar one star and a bunch of crap but we'll see. It's going to be, it's, it'll be interesting to see. But I think it's going to make more sense and be more flexible to have quality role players um, versus that like tier of stars that get paid the max, but maybe is, is you know, certainly a tier lower than the superstars getting paid the max. Uh, I do think draft picks are going to start to be more valuable again because they just fill in cheap contracts. You know, I, I think that's just going to be a thing that is. So I think those are like ways you probably start to think about how you can use the new CBA to your advantage. And those all sort of roll into the plan uh, that I outlined before. And that's not by accident. You know, <laughs> I was already thinking about that, but I kind of want to present some other reasons. All right. A couple uh, quick hitters. <laughs> I just want to say. Can I kill the person who came up a double-double machine for Vooch? Like, is there an article you read about Vooch that doesn't call him a double-double machine? Do you care? Like, I mean, like, who cares if he puts out double-doubles? Is this, like, 1970? Is this our scouting analysis? We're, gonna, we're not going to worry about whether he's efficient, whether he can defend. You know, we're just gonna, he just puts up raw numbers, adds in those counting stats. Like, like, and I'm not saying Vooch is a bad player, but, like, when people use terms that make someone sound really tremendous but really aren't it's just always a poor argument to me and just saying a guy like does averages double double like is just not it's one of those things for me like if he averaged 9.5 rebounds would it make any difference to you at all 
if he averaged like seven rebounds, would it even really be all that different? Like, it's not like he's a great offensive rebounder, you know. I, anyway, I, like I said, I don't want to rip on Vooch for it. It's just be wary of when people use things like, oh, he's an all-star or things like that. Like it, like a typical all-star you think of, like it's like LeBron James or Michael Jordan. But then people say an all-star around the guys like Vooch or DeMar. It's like, no, these are the guys that barely made the team, you know, kind of like fringe all-stars for whatever reason. It, it's not the same. But you try to put a label on them where they barely squeeze into the lowest bracket of the label and then they get the reputation of like the middle of the label. And it's a way of like inflating the looks. So I can't stand it. I can't stand it when I hear double double machine. Um, and speaking about things like I, I need to swear about, can we stop fucking talking about Miami's run as if we were like one game away from being in the finals? Like, oh, yep, we, we are the closest team to knocking off the heat. <laughs> like this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. All right, yeah, yeah, we were close to knocking off the heat in that game. Miami was lucky to get past us, given the circumstances. But there's no way we were going to go then knock off Milwaukee and do all this other stuff that Miami did. We just weren't, and you know it. Like, come on, in your heart of hearts, you know it. Let's just stop pretending. Um, you know, Milwaukee, or sorry, Miami, fortunate they were able to come back against us, but we weren't going to have the same run. So let's stop trying to equate Miami's run to the Bulls. That's just a ridiculous way to look at it. I want to punch people in the face every time I hear someone do it. So just, just knock it off. Uh, interesting other quick hit. Monty Williams set the market for coaches at $12 million a year plus incentives. And I guess that's just how much you have to pay someone to live in Detroit and coach there with their team. Uh, just just crazy. I mean, this is, this is an insane amount of money to pay for a coach historically. Yet the thing I'm going to ask you is like, I'm surprised like coaching salaries just aren't more. They don't count against your cap. The teams are making so much more money. Coaching salaries have actually been suppressed. All coaches should be making like this type of money relative to how everything else has gone uh, in the NBA. It's almost like there's collusion going on in coaching salaries. So like no one has to pay more. Uh, but I, I thought it was pretty wild. And I don't, I don't know that Monty Williams is the guy I'd be like, I want to pony up like a hundred million for, which I think is his deal could go up, go up to a hundred million with incentives. I'm Granted, on the Pistons, he's probably not going to meet those. But, wow, that's uh, great for him and great for the coaches. And I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened sooner. Like, if I was Eric Spolstra, I would be like, I don't know what Eric Spolstra's salary is. I don't know if it's public. I didn't look it up. I should look it up. I'm a terrible person. But if I was Eric Spolstra, I'd be like, you know what? I need $30 million a year. Just pay me $30 million. Like, you don't think I'm worth it? I got this group to the finals twice. Come on. Come on. And if, if I was a, another team, like I'm, I'm like a, a rich team, I'd be like, hey, Eric Spolstra, here's $30 million. Come over, coach my group. Figure out how to get nine undrafted guys to be viable role players over on my team. I would, I would totally be in on that. You know, it's like you're spending so much money on all these other things. It would be worth it. It would just be worth it. Superstar. All right. And then, wow, it's just ran out of time. We're 30 minutes in. All right, next show, I, I kind of going to break down the super trade. trade. All the trades where teams played, paid tons of first-round picks uh, to get a superstar player or a star player and how that worked for each side. Uh, because I'm curious, like, are these types of trades still out there as we start looking at could we move Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, or Nikola Vucevic you know, for such a package? Now, clearly, Vuce in a sign-and-trade is not going to generate such a package. Uh, DeMar, I think we probably agree like no one wants to pay him that much due to his age and contract status whatever and zach is kind of the interesting one 
So I'm going to compare these guys though to other people who've gotten these deals and what they gave up and wonder if we could get such a deal and if we should make such a deal if we can. So uh, given we're 30 minutes in, we'll just save that for next time. That'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. This has been Doug Tonus. Talk to you next week.